Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to the Brian Book Club. I've actually been looking forward to doing this episode that I am about to do for quite a while now. Uh, It took me a little bit to finish the book that I'll be discussing. I actually just finished it last night, and I knew right away once I was done that I had to record this while it was fresh on my mind. The book that we'll be talking about today is a book written by a gentleman named David Simon called Homicide a Year on the Killing Streets. Uh, I had a little history with David Simon uh, in his material in the past. One of my absolute favorite TV shows was HBO's The Wire. I find it to be a close number two for my favorite TV show of all time, with True Detective Season 1 perhaps being the number one TV show, favorite TV show of mine. And I also am a huge fan of, uh, and by the way, David Simon created The Wire, and he also created a TV show called The Deuce that is currently on HBO that deals with 1977 New York City, real grimy, does a really good job on portraying how how that city was. And that's also why I loved The Wire. He he had been, I believe, a Baltimore Sun reporter for like 20 years or something like that. And so The Wire, for all of its seasons, had a really good feel, like a authentic feel of the Baltimore streets and it was kind of an educational show for me to watch also. So back when we were interviewing Matthew Dawkins, AKA the gentleman gamer on the Brian diaries, he was talking about books that he read. And there was like some books he mentioned, which I had read or I'd been familiar with before they talked. And then he said homicide a uh, year on the killing streets. And I was <clears throat> kind of taken aback. Cause I, I remember vaguely hearing about that book being, um, the motivation for a TV show called Homicide, which I, to be honest, I had never watched. And usually when I people I respect recommend books, I usually go on my Amazon app on my phone and, and one click the book right away. And that's what I ended up doing with Homicide. And so I started reading it and I was completely blown away because this book is a is a is a is a just a treasure trove, a treasure trove of inspiration that you can use in different World of Darkness games. And I'm going to kind of like unpack that a little bit because that's kind of a loaded statement, but I'm going to go ahead and unpack it. So what do I mean by it being a treasure trove of World of Darkness inspiration? First, you know, one thing that I noticed when I first started running Twin Cities by Night, and I um, sure happens to other people in different World of Darkness games, is that you you tend sometimes to treat backgrounds just like dots. Now, it's not... An insult at to anyone because like i said i was guilty of it too i just mean it's a it's a lot of work for a storyteller to really dive into and unpack the backgrounds the background stats of a character sheet in different world of darkness games now i find that myself as a storyteller the one background that i really felt that i had no problem unpacking was retainers i, I love the concept of ghouls and, and, and vampire the masquerade and stuff like that and just I, f- I feel that's a very powerful story driven aspect of the game but i i did find though when it comes to allies and contacts i was kind of hand waved sometimes or i kind of just did like you know cheap generic templates i guess in my head you know, for example, in the first story arc of Twin Cities by Night, there's a Detective Burroughs, I believe his name was, that Jonathan Chase used. And, you know, I'm sure in a lot of Vampire the Masquerade games and different World of Darkness games that take place in a city, a lot of players want to have detectives of some sort uh, as an ally and a contact because 
you know, they, they, they are valuable tools to, to kind of like get information to crack the story open. And also, to be honest with you, as a storyteller myself, I like it when players have that background because it's also more tools for me to use to, to open up the plot of my, of my story that I have planned out. And so, but I found that <clears throat> like when I was doing this detective Burroughs guy and, and there was a different detective, a, a vice detective I had in the game. I can't remember the name off the top of his head. I found like that I was just going to play it out cliches that, that you see on TV. Now, mind you, I tried to make him human. I tried to give him faults and, 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 and weaknesses and, and just, you know, make them very grayscale but i really didn't know that much on the subject to be honest with you you know i've never been a homicide detective or a cop myself and when i read this book it just kind of really boom it was like a barn door opening up and a bunch of horses just come stomping out over me just like the the amount of stuff i got wrong just running running the game and running these characters i wish i could go back and just just redo it all and just like take every single dot and contacts and allies and just expand on them more so this book in a nutshell, follows the uh, a year of a hom the, the Baltimore PD homicide unit, detective unit, and it, and it's really good. I mean, it's really embedded. Like like the, the the author was really embedded with these detectives, and it was really good at making these detectives human, and really showing just how fallible they are, but also showing the struggles that they go through. Now, the prose in which David Simon writes, it's very easy to ingest and very easy. It's not dry. So it's very dramatic. And it really just like really just pulls you in and you feel connected to like a wide variety of different people. Because, you know, no matter how easy it is in our brains to process, not every single homicide detective is the same. Matter of fact, they're rather different, each individual person that they are. You know, they're not cookie cutter whatsoever. You know, if you're not even talking about race or ethnicity, you're talking about um, um, personalities, you're talking about lifestyles, you're talking about ways that they do the job, their opinions on how to do the job, how they work well with others, how they don't work well with others, what drives them, what gives them motivation, why they do the job. And just one common string, if I could say that could weave all these different personalities and, and characters together in this book, is the drive for the job. You know, this book was written in 1988. And I can't imagine things are much different, to be honest with you, in 30 years since this book was written. But back then, and you see this a lot in the Wire television show, by the way, also. Back then, you know, these cops, didn't, they didn't get paid a lot. And I'm sure they don't. I've been friends with, with a couple of cops before, and it's not a high paying job. And a lot of these cops, you, you see that they are working like 24 hours, 36 hours. These homicide detectives are working 24 hours, 36 hours straight, just trying to get overtime. You know, but also a lot of them are personally driven to, to solve these cases. And it's just like, you know, you look at this and you realize that these homicide detectives are a direct reflection of the city in which they serve, you know, these streets in which they, they, they investigate these murders. And you see them, you know, you see people who are like 20, who've been on the force for 26 years, who are going to continue to be on the force, who are well into their 50s and older and who just for, and they, you know, they're getting paid, they're getting paid so bad that they, a lot of these guys have second jobs or side businesses that they try to do just so they can make a living, but they don't ever want to let it go. The insane amount of hours they work, the insane amount of pressure they have to like solve murders or to like, to, to, to see like a lot of the people that, that, that they, that they have tied to the murders get away with them or just like feeling pressure from the brass and the politics to like meet a certain percentage of, of solving these 
And they're, and they're, and they're very complex people. You know, they have high amounts of stress. They have health issues. They drink a lot. They just, the ways that they cope with what they see. You know, I said earlier that uh, you read this book and you see that these homicide detectives are direct reflections of the city. And sometimes those direct reflections are, uh, will taint them. And you, and you see that it affects their humor, their sense of humor, the way that they handle trauma. It affects their health. You know, it affects their relationships. A lot of them have been married multiple times. In all reality, you see that they're married to the job. You see, you know, they're, 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 there's one particular uh, particular detective in here who is trying to solve the a murder of a of a of a young black girl in in Baltimore, a brutal rape and murder. And you could see it takes like a toll on his health. And that, but the, but it can't be. He goes to doctors and they can't figure it out. He he's just like wasting away. He has this nasty cough that's like almost like a pneumonia cough, but it's not pneumonia. And just like the stress of this job and this and the and the drive and the determination that he has to want to solve this murder is affecting his own family life. So you you, you see the story of cops who transfer from other departments who go into homicide who just can't cut it. They aren't able to see. They aren't. They aren't able to, to piece things together like the others. They just don't. Have, they may have been a great cop in vice or in robbery or whatever, but they just can't cut it in homicide. And there's even a chilling story at the end of the book where it talks about a detective that they had known in the past who took his own life just because he couldn't handle what he saw being a homicide detective. And when I read this book, I kick myself in the ass because I think, man, if I was given the opportunity to go back when I first started running games on this channel. I would really take my time to flesh these people out and to make them memorable characters. But hey, I got the future to do that. So that's one good thing about this book. Believable, realistic allies and contacts who can help you as a storyteller or even help you as a player to flesh out your character. It's awesome. Awesome for that. So the second thing that this book provides is a way to really articulate to your players when they are using an investigation role, like a um, perception and investigation, that's a pretty common role, at least in my games. So I really try to get descriptive in our games with character actions, just because I want the players to feel um, and th to feel embedded with the story. And I feel a good way to do that is to be descriptive. Maybe I'm over descriptive sometimes. I don't know, but I find oftentimes when someone rolls a perception investigation. It's really hard to articulate how they went from point A of wanting to find something to point Z of finding it. And you and you're and in this book, it gives you so many different ways that you can do it, so many different styles that you can do it. It's really it's really awesome. You know, for example, they have back to um that detective who was trying to solve that murder of a young of a young lady, a young girl, and he really takes more of an analytical approach, like he wants to. You know, he wants he wants to 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 do comparison on tar and and ash from like a burn site where her body may have been, or even paint flecks that were found on her leggings that may have matched a sign of one suspect. And even when it comes to the way that he interrogates suspects, he is more analytical. He reads books and these in these in these studies, and he and he, and he listens to professionals, uh, to people who are paid like contractors to teach, and he like learns about like signs that they may be introvert but willing to talk, or introvert or not willing to talk, or if they're lying, if they look a certain way with their eyes or whatever. But then you flip the coin and you have that detective sergeant who believes that sometimes you just got to find it. You follow your gut feeling when something doesn't pass the smell test instinctually. And it to him, the whole 
you know, oh, they look left. That means their line is hocus pocus and you just got to follow your gut. And he does a completely opposite way of investigating where he'll be nice to some people. Then he just gets tired and you go in there screaming and like say, I fucking know, you know, and they give it up or just how random, how absolutely fucking random some shit is when, when people find uh, something that cracks a case open, you know, just there's an example in this book where there was a hit and run. And the, the victim was seen that night who this this lady was seen uh, at a bar with a blonde guy. And he was they think he might have been driving like a black sports car. And so they have like these Western District cops trying to find a black sports car. But they don't know the owners are blonde, like the pictures of the owners. And then like once the case cooled down, like three or four months later, this, this detective was looking through pictures because he's kind of getting peer pressure from a mentor not to let the case go. And he sees that there's one picture of a guy with blonde eyebrows, but black hair which means the idiot dyed his hair black but didn't dye his eyebrows and that ended up being the person who killed this girl just how things are random sometimes how they piece it together but then also it's like just how well sometimes the dots connect themselves when someone does a crime like murder in the heat of the moment so there's tons of tons and tons and tons of examples there and i plan to use that in in, in my games as a storyteller from now on really try to get creative Really just try to make it to where like that discovery and the way it came about is part of the story. Just kind of like let it flow and, and have it tell its own story of a sorts. And then finally, one thing, the final thing that you could take away. And I know I've said this about other books that we have covered in the Brian Book Club. It does a really good job of providing um, providing like uh, how the city the city is its own character. And I know I've said that before and I'm recycling what I've said before, but this book really helps with that too in a different perspective. Like I said, the book was written in 1988 and there's this really powerful chapter where they're talking about the summer of that year. Cause like I said, the book covers a whole year and I'm talking about how like murders are on the rise and they're talking about how in the ghetto, all a lot of the, 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 a lot of the detectives are hearing that 1988 song, and I can't remember who, who wrote it, but the song, It Takes Two to Make a Thing All Right. Yeah, that song. And they ha the, the writer has this chapter where he like will have a line of that song and then talk about something brutal that happened. And then another line and talk about something brutal that happens. And it'll continue back and forth like that. And it really shows you this city and like this familiar song that right now is like a song that's like part of the American or the world lexicon and like, you know, and here they're talking about how like in the ghetto, it was like the ghetto anthem. That's what they call it. And they're, they're just like playing this song and they're talking about these different murders. And it really just brings the city to life. And to be honest with you, this is something uh, for those of you who have not watched the show, The Wire or The Deuce, that they do very well. Where they show you like the side of cities that, frankly, a lot of us don't ha get to experience. I remember like watching The Wire and just being like, what the fuck? Like, like of course, you know that there's like people in the ghetto who, who who deal drugs and who do all that shit and you hear about that but like they sh like the wire took that to another level and just showed you like the education system and just showed you like how these kids are living in these low rises that are just like um malnourished and they're just barely making it and just uh, the poverty line and just is this all this whirlwind of, of of something that i've never been exposed to and that is something that should very well be exposed to in these games of ours, these World of Darkness games, especially ones that take place in the city, because that's the, that's the uncomfortable reality of life. That stuff like that exists around us that we may not witness. And in World of Darkness games, they're very well our predators who walk amongst that aspect of life that we aren't aware of. They may very well be your players. And that not only is in itself 
a character of its own, but also it is something that can draw your players in to the horror of the world of darkness, having to be confronted by a reality which we in real life avoid and making them the center of attention in that. So this is an awesome book. I cannot stress enough. I'm so glad that Matthew Dawkins recommended it. Well, he didn't really recommend it. He said he wrote, wrote it. He said he read it and I ended up buying it because why not listen to the gentleman gamer when he talks about a book that he likes. Definitely check it out. And until next time, signing off. If you wish to reach out to us, you can find us on twin underscore cities underscore VTM on Twitter, or you can find us on twin cities by night on Facebook, or we have a discord and all the fun stuff that you can find in the description of this podcast or video. Hello folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general? that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by! We hope to see you there.